Welcome to sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Good morning. It's so nice to see everyone. My name's Nikki, and uh, today we're going to be concluding our sermon series on justice. We're going to be thinking about what the gospel has to say about the environment. And that is an important issue. It's an important topic. Just over a week ago, the United Nations released its climate change report. That report said that the world is dangerously close to runaway warming and that humans are unequivocally to blame. How do we respond to this? As we heard in Psalm 104, God cares for the world, and as we saw in those pictures, it is beautiful. In my last two years at high school in England, I studied three A-levels. I studied social biology, geography, and French. In social biology, I learned about the impact of humanity on ecosystems and on the biological world. In geography, I learned about the physical world and the impact of humanity upon it. And in French, I learned about language and culture and traditions. It wasn't until university that I came to know the God who created the cosmos and humanity and society, the one who holds it all together. Although I had learned about God through the hymns that I sang every day during high school, I wasn't really sure that God existed. I hadn't experienced God's deep love for me personally. God, though, had been seeking me out. He had placed in me a deep awe and wonder for his creation. I have a very clear memory of a distinct moment at the age of 17 when I was on a geography field trip in Pembrokeshire in Wales when I was struck by the utter beauty of the earth, I encountered a scene much like this one. And I remember clearly thinking, with awestruck wonder, only God could have created something this beautiful. There must be a God. A few years later, after I had come to know Jesus through the witness of my roommate in university, I learned that the Bible says that that is in fact true. Romans 1 verse 20 says, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. God reveals himself through his creation. He reveals his eternal power and his divine nature through what he has made. And what God has made is good. That is repeated through the first chapter of Genesis. God describes the creation of the heavens and the earth repeatedly as good. 
Psalm 19 declares the same. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. God is revealed and his glory is revealed through what he has made. And God cares deeply for what he has made. So let's turn uh, together to Psalm 104. And if you're using a Bible that's in the back of the pews, that's on page um, 800, sorry, 486. So we're just going to look at a section in the middle, starting in verse 10. But there you'll see verses 10 to 12. God provides water for the animals and shelter for the birds. Then verses 13 to 15, we see God sustaining animals and providing for human beings. Then again, verses 16 to 18, God provides water for the trees, which in turn provide shelter for birds. He creates environments suitable for wild goats and places of refuge for rock badgers. Then verses 19 to 21, those show how the world is intelligently designed and meaningfully ordered. The world exists because God cares for it and sustains it. All creatures, great and small, depend on God, and they are valuable. And their value does not come from their usefulness to humans. They are valuable to each other as places for nests and refuge, and they're valuable to God simply because God made them. And then verses 22 to 24 conclude, when the sun rises, they, the young lions, withdraw and lie down in their dens. People go out to their work and to their labor until the evening. Oh Lord, how manifold are your works. In your wisdom, you have made them all. The earth is full of your creature, creatures. Yonder is the sea, great and wide. Creeping, th creeping things innumerable are there. Living things, both small and great. All things have been created by God. Everything on heaven and on earth is the result of God's creative activity. And humanity is mentioned in this psalm as simply one of the creatures that God has made. People are to go out to their work and to their labor until the evening to cultivate the earth. And they're to do that in harmony with the needs of all creatures. Why? So that all creatures can sing praises to God their creator so that all creatures can glorify God. The value of non-human creatures and the praise that they give God is also described in Psalm 184. And then Psalms 8 and Proverbs 8 affirm the role of humankind in caring for the world. What I had learned at A-level resonated with God's plan revealed in Scripture. But my A-levels didn't teach me why God made the world and why God made us. The Bible has that answer. God loves the earth. 
He loves the creatures that he has placed on the earth, and he has created humanity in his image to take care of this world, to steward it on his behalf, to rule his creation as his representative. In Genesis 1, verse 28, God says to the first man and woman, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the seas and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. That command comes as the climax to the creation story. The first five days, God speaks and ordered creation into being. And then God's actions on the sixth and the seventh day tell us why. On day six, God first creates the animals. Then God creates man and woman in his image and tells them to be fruitful and to rule over creation. The purpose of being in God's image is to oversee God's creation as his partner as his representative. And then there's one more day, day seven, where God rests. The whole world in Genesis 1 is portrayed as a holy temple where God lives with his people. That phrase, there was morning, there was evening and there was morning, doesn't appear in day seven. Day seven has no end. The seventh day is the pinnacle of creation, and God's intent is to share his creation with his image bearers so that they, so that we can rest and rule it forever with him. Paul Marshall, in his book, Heaven is Not My Home, puts it this way. He says, God made human beings precisely in order to care for the earth. We were made to serve this purpose. It is built into our very being. It is our very design. We are purpose-built creatures. If we do not take up our responsibility for God's world, we defy not only this command, but also our very nature and the very purpose for which we were created. Our responsibility for the world is a fundamental part of God's plan for creation. Human beings, however, perverted God's plan. Instead of walking with God and caring for creation, Adam and Eve disobeyed. Not content to be like God, they wanted to be God. They wanted to rule on their own terms. And so they ate of the tree, the fruit of the tree that was forbidden to them. And once they had disobeyed God, the whole world became marked by corruption, by evil, and by pain. We were cut off from our creator, from ourselves, from each other, and from the natural world around us. Sin has corrupted every human act, and every human thought, and every human desire. It has even corrupted the way that we carry out our divine task of caring for the world. The Bible is the story of how sin is overcome through Jesus Christ. God's redemption plan began with a covenant, an unbreakable promise, first with Noah 
and then with Abraham. And what's interesting is if you look in Genesis 6, it's not just with Noah that God makes the covenant. Genesis 6 verses 9 and 10 say, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal on the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. And then six more times in the next seven verses, God repeats this never-ending, unconditional promise to never again destroy the earth. And each time he makes that promise, he makes it to Noah and all the living creatures on the earth. God cares about his whole creation. He covenants with the whole earth. God continues his rescue plan through history and it culminates with his new covenant in Jesus Christ. Jesus said that through him, God's presence and rule were coming into the world in a new way through his life, his death, and his resurrection. God's ideal vision for the world in Genesis 2, where God would share his creation with his people and rest and rule with them forever, was becoming a reality in Jesus. By the Spirit, God's presence has has begun dwelling with his people, the church, so that now we together are to extend God's rest and God's rule. At the end of the Bible story, Revelation describes a renewed cosmic temple, the new heavens and the new earth, just like in Genesis 1, where the whole creation will be the place where God rests and rules the world with his people. In the meantime, while we wait for that final day, we are called to rule, and we're called to do that with kindness and with love. We are called to reflect God's character as we care for the earth. God cares for the land and all its inhabitants, and so should we. Nature, as we saw, tells us so much about God, but nature also tells us about the devastating impact that some of our choices have had on God's created world. Environmental problems are not caused by good stewardship by humans and by good human rule. They are caused by greed and sin. We see that in the biblical story too. So Hosea chapter 4 verses 1 to 3 says, Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bonds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Because of this, the land mourns, and all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea are dying. Colonization is an example of human stewardship gone wrong all over the planet. Settlers mistakenly misunderstood, mistakenly understood the word rule 
to mean rule with an iron fist. They exploited the lands that they settled. They did not recognize indigenous people as created in God's image. And they sought to exterminate and assimilate indigenous populations and to exploit the earth. And that was done under the doctrine of discovery, which assumed the racial superiority of European Christian people stemming from Genesis chapter 1. But God did not call his people to that kind of domination. Humanity has not been imaging its creator. We were called to reflect God's character through our stewardship of the earth. But instead, we have, throughout history, oppressed and exploited people and creatures and the land. Historically, we have not been good stewards. Paul Marshall says, to steward all things is to treat them in the way that God calls us to treat them. That means carefully attending to all the ways that we can express love through beauty, through preservation, through proper use. To be a steward is, some, is something of something, is to be aware of its proper place in God's creation, to be sensitive to the ways that it can be misused, to recognize the ways in which it can bring benefit to others, and to preserve it and cause it to be fruitful, caring for it so it so that what is good is conserved and using it so that it brings blessing. That's what it means in Genesis 2.15 when God instructs humanity to serve the earth and to keep it. So how do we do this? How do we become good stewards of God's good world? I was listening to a podcast that proposes three steps. Affect, awareness, and awe. So first, see the effect of our actions on the world. Then, grow in local awareness. And thirdly, respond with awe. First, we need to see the effect of our poor stewardship on the earth. Let's consider some examples as they relate to Psalm 104. The beautiful order and balance of the natural world that is described in this psalm has been disrupted. So instead of the gushing streams which provide for the birds and the animals in verses 10 through 12, water supplies have become polluted and unpredictable, with both droughts and floods becoming more and more common. Climate change has resulted in the last 14 years, sorry, 14 of the last 20 years have been the hottest years on record, and the last five years have been the hottest ever. And on June 29th of this year, the hottest temperature ever recorded in Canada, which was 49.6 degrees Celsius, was recorded in Lytton, B.C., right before that village was consumed by wildfire. 
the abundant provision in verses 13 through 15 have been replaced with food insecurity and famine. Global warming is expected to reduce the productivity of livestock farming and fisheries around the world. And the World Health Organization predicts that an extra 95,000 children will die of malnutrition in a warmer world. The balanced habitats described in verses 16 through 18 are being destroyed. The Arctic ice sheet, for example, has been losing 540,000 square kilometers every year since 1979. That's an area the size of France every year. And last week, it was warm enough for rain to fall on the summit in Greenland. For the first time ever, that's a location that has only ever known snow and ice. And that warming impacts habitats and humanity around the world. The ordered ecosystems in verses 19 to 21 are no longer ordered. The UN report on climate change that I mentioned earlier predicts heat waves, droughts, and hurricanes on a scale that far greater than we have already experienced. It calls for a dramatic reduction in greenhouse emissions to avoid those worst-case scenarios. And those who experience the worst impacts of climate change are usually not the ones most responsible for causing it. And they are the least able to deal with it. The result of our poor stewardship of the Earth is that people are no longer able to go to their work and to their labor in the evening, verse 23. Instead, more people are being dragged into poverty, and people who are already poor will get poorer. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change predicts that 100 million people will experience extreme poverty if the global temperature increases by 1.5 degrees Celsius. So floods and storms will displace huge numbers of people. 15 million people were displaced in 2018 alone. And that number will increase as weather conditions become more extreme. Verse 24 and 25 declare that the earth is full of God's creatures. Yonder is the sea, great and wide, creeping things innumerable are there, living things both great and small. That incredible biodiversity that God created in the land and the oceans has drastically diminished. Biodiversity is crucial for the flourishing of human life and uh, for the every living creature. I recently learned that one species goes extinct every hour. So that's 10,000 species a year, about 24 species every day. And studies pre predict that by 2070, about a third of all land species could be completely lost. As Romans 8.28 says, all of creation is groaning. So this knowledge about the effects of our poor, of our poor stewardship can feel overwhelming, and it can also feel paralyzing. Which brings us to the second point. 
local awareness. It's not realistic to care equally about every single place on the earth, but we can start by learning two things, where our water comes from and where our garbage goes to. Knowing where our local away is, where we throw things away to, goes to, that is going to make us more likely to care. So I found a fantastic booklet which answers those questions about Toronto. It explains exactly where our water and energy and waste comes from and where it goes to. And the author says that once we know those things, we are no longer lost. She says, we are connected and have a foundation upon which to develop a caring relationship with our environment. So you can learn more if you go to her website. Let's become more locally aware. And finally, or The Love Thy Neighborhood podcasters recommend marveling at the wonder of the created world and by extension, at the God who created it. So help yourself and other people around you to fall in love with creation, to appreciate and wonder at the world around us. Go for a walk, plant some pots on your balcony, consider the nature images in the Psalms. And if you can't get outside, look out of the window. Some of you know that uh, I had to travel to England recently. And when I got there, I had to quarantine in a hotel for seven days. And this is the view from my dirty hotel window. So I set up my computer on the windowsill, and then I sat there for my quiet times, for my meals, for my phone calls. Essentially, I sat in front of the window all day. And after a while, I began to notice all kinds of things, especially how the light looked, how the weather conditions and the clouds changed, and how people moved about the street in front of me and the airplanes on the skyline right across from me. Even though I wasn't allowed to leave my little room, I began to feel connected and to care for that little area of God's creation. We can do the same for the little areas of creation that God has placed us in. So seeing the effect, becoming aware, and developing awe cause us to care more for the environment. As God's caretakers of the world, once we care, we can act. One scientific journal that I read included an article with the title, Six Things We Can All Do to Help Reduce Global Warming in the Immediate Future. It suggests drive less, fly less, veg out, shift to a more plant-based diet, run a tight ship, Lower the temperature of your hot water and washing machine. Use a lower flow showerhead. Turn appliances off when you're not using them. Air dry your clothes if you can. 
Number five, be a desk warrior. Turn off the lights and your workstations at the end of the day. And six, change your investments. Statistics show that investing sustainably can have a big impact on the carbon footprint that we each have. There's all kinds of ideas out there. God loves all that he has created, and we should too. God is making it new, and he calls us to be his caretakers of his good world. Let's choose to be good stewards. And let's pray that as we care, others will see who God is, that they will see the God who cares for all that he creates and that they may come to know and follow him, the God who loves you and me. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.